Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Shannon Deaton and Jason Creekmore. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're discussing Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and other legendary cryptids from various folklores. Across the table, I'm looking at a man with a 10-foot wingspan, a love for leaving footprints in the woods, and a craving for fresh livestock. J- Jason Creekmore, how are you today? <coughs> Doing that well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Doing well. Yeah, so so what species of, uh, of Bigfoot are you? Are you the Sasquatch variety? or No, Sasquatch is sort of offensive. Oh, is that an yeah, offensive we, term? Yeah, we take offense to that term. It's just Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, there's something I've always wondered. So if, if there are two, you know, Bigfoots right next to each other, is it Bigfoots? Big feet? Bigfoot? It's, it's like deer. Okay. It's like just, you know, hey, there's a Bigfoot or hey, there's all there's, there's look, big, look at all the Bigfoot. Look at all the Bigfoot. So it's That's not right. look at all yeah. the Bigfeet. It's That's just correct. look at all the Bigfoot. So we are going to be talking about cryptids and I've been looking forward to this episode. I think there's uh, been a lot of interest about this in the news and, you know, a lot of that we're going to discuss here in a little bit. But I think it's appropriate to first of all start off with identifying, you know, what are cryptids? Cryptids are animals presumed to exist by followers of the cryptozoology pseudoscience. And you may be saying, well, that, that's a lot of words there. I don't, I'm not sure I know what that means, Shannon. What is that? <laughs> Explain that to me, my small Bigfoot brain. Oh. <laughs> I have a difficult not time. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, cryptozoologists study folklore, Jason, and they study local rumors to determine the presence of cryptids around the globe. And there's been a lot of sightings all over the place, some of those just in our own backyard. Some of the most legendary cryptids include Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, and others that we're going to discuss in just a little bit. So if you caught very many of these on the any hunting cams or out in the woods anywhere, just kind of creeping through the backyard? No, I, I never have. Uh, of course, we go hiking quite a bit. Uh, we've seen a bear once, maybe some foxes. That, that's really about it. Sure. Uh, but, you know, my friend, like sometimes I like to sort of mess with him, you know, so uh, uh, he will go hiking and he'll come back and I'll say, hey, did you see any bears or any kind of like, you know, Bigfoot or anything like that? And he'll He'll say no, and I'll say, well, that doesn't mean they didn't see you. You know, that kind of just enough making paranoid. Uh, a few years ago, uh, some of my friends, we went uh, hiking in Tennessee, and right before we uh, started on the, the, the trailhead, we saw a bear. I mean, like immediately, like right in the gravel road, like right where you park. And so that was before one foot touched the ground. So like the entire hike, everybody was on a very heightened sense of, of awareness. And you have no idea after you see a bear how big a squirrel sounds. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the woods, I mean, you know, every piece of wood that snapped or anything, a twig, instantly we thought the bear was coming to kill us, you know, the, the whole trip. So here's where we differ. I, I heard you saw a bear, but then immediately after that, I heard you still went hiking. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> we, heard, we heard it was a really good trail. Oh, well, it must, must have been the best of trails. Well, and it's, also, and it's also so that adage, there was like six of us. So sure. I only had, uh, you know, I didn't have to be the fastest. I just couldn't be the slowest. Gotcha. gotcha. Now, can six people take a bear? Can, can they take it on? I'm not sure, but there wouldn't have been six that would have tried because I'd have been gone. <laughs> I guess they'd have had to have known if five would have done it. That's right. Well, we'll begin our discussion with one of the most legendary cryptids known to man or known to any of the cryptozoology department, if there is such a thing. And that is Bigfoot. Bigfoot's one that I've heard of ever since I was just a just a little tyke, a little foot, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd heard a lot about Bigfoot. I think Pizza Hut actually had a pizza called a, called a Bigfoot yeah, there's for, actually, for a time. There's actually like a, a monster truck named Bigfoot. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's well known. So in North American folklore, Bigfoot 
or Sasquatch, we'll try not to use that name too much, it's not to offend, uh, are depicted as hairy, upright, walking, ape-like creatures that live in the wilderness and leave huge footprints wherever they go. And this is their claim to fame. It seems like, Jason, they can go nowhere without leaving these huge, (laughs) (laughs) monstrous footprints. That's their calling cards. Yeah, size 36. (laughs) Now, uh, eyewitnesses claim that the footprints can be up to 24 inches or 60 centimeters long and 8 inches or 20 centimeters wide. So pretty sizable uh, Nike there for, for Mr. Bigfoot. Those who claim to have seen it describe Bigfoot as large, muscular, bipedal, ape-like creatures, roughly six to nine feet tall, covered in black, dark brown, or dark reddish hair. Most cultures have stories of these larger-than-life, human-like giants in their history, and each language has its own name for these monsters. Many of the names mean hairy man or wild man. Some accounts claim that Bigfoot can speak and that the creatures prefer to avoid humans altogether. That's why we've not seen too many, Jason. They're, they're staying away from us. We, we smell a lot worse than they do. Makes apparently. sense. Yeah. In the 1920s, Indian agent J.W. Burns compiled local stories and published them in a series of Canadian newspaper articles, and they were accounts told to him by indigenous people of British Columbia. This was in Canada. The indigenous people who told these stories were often offended that outsiders believed that Bigfoot was only a legend. Kind of made them mad. They thought, well, how dare you right, yeah, think that Bigfoot's not yeah, real? You're, you're not taking us seriously. That's right. Burns borrowed the name Sasquatch from the natives of British Columbia and used it to describe a hypothetical single type of creature portrayed in the local stories. So about one third of Bigfoot sightings are located in the Pacific Northwest, with the remaining reports spread throughout the rest of North America. There's been a few different books written on cases involving Bigfoot. In the Bigfoot case book, which is one of those books, authors Janet and Colin Board document Bigfoot sightings across America from 18 18 to 1980, listing over 1,000 sightings. So do you know anyone that's ever claimed to have seen Bigfoot, like for real? Mm, not that I can think of, no. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> those, those types of folks tend to stick together quite a bit. I have had some friends who've shown some interest in going out and just, you know, having a, a good-natured hunt right, for Bigfoot. Yeah. You know? yeah, just for the heck of it. Yeah, right? but I don't know anyone who's who's come back and said, yeah, I, I saw Bigfoot, you know, he's in my trunk. You want to see? You know? <laughs> Now, the debate over the legitimacy of Bigfoot sightings reached a peak in the 1970s, and as such, Bigfoot has been regarded as the first widely popularized example of pseudoscience in American culture. Now, there's been a number of explanations for, you know, what is a Bigfoot, where does he come from, why are there over a thousand sightings of a Bigfoot? So, in 2007, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, yes, it exists, shared photos that appear to depict a young Bigfoot walking near a tree in the woods and you can find this online i saw it in the article where i was doing this research and it just appears to be almost like a bear type creature or uh, maybe a a chimpanzee or something like that but it's just kind of leaning up against a tree and it it does look kind of peculiar you know it's it's nothing i've ever seen before and and it's kind of kind of strange to see but the pennsylvania game commission said that the photos were likely of a bear with mange and you're going to see this repeated several times yeah a lot of these hmm. are explained away by saying oh that was just something we know about but it's lost a lot of its hair for you know whatever, whatever. reason yeah. yeah so however some anthropologists and scientists say that the limb proportions of the creature in the photo are more similar to a chimpanzee than to a bear and for the region it was seen in there shouldn't have been a chimpanzee there now just like with alien sightings jason a lot of these bigfoot sightings are indeed hoaxes 
Netflix's. It's very popular. It's widely known. Even most believers and non-believers alike think that the majority of Bigfoot sightings are just completely made up. Hoaxes, people in the woods, wearing a costume. I can't imagine. <laughs> people with costumes? Yeah. I, I didn't know we had the technology for this. You know, It's kind of wild. One of the most famous Bigfoot hoaxes was carried out by a man named Tom Biscardi, a longtime Bigfoot enthusiast and CEO of Searching for Bigfoot Incorporated. Uh, he appeared on a radio show in 2005 to say that he was, quote, 98% sure that his group will be able to capture a Bigfoot, which they have been tracking in the Happy Camp, California area, end quote. One month after he went on the radio show, he went on the show again and announced that he had access to a captured Bigfoot and that he was arranging a pay-per-view for people to see it. Okay. I would have paid for it. Oh, uh, that's, yeah. There's, there's money a, we'll spend. a lot of money. I, I think I would have spent on that. However, a few days later, Biscardi appeared on the same radio show a third time, indicating that he had been misled and there was no capture Bigfoot. He also added that the radio audience who believed him was gullible. So he Sorry. says there's a Bigfoot. People believe him. He comes back and says, ha, there was no Bigfoot. I was fooled. But you all are gullible. Not a, good, that. not a good business model, <laughs> I would imagine. Absolutely not. So that was the, the fool me once model, right? But check this <laughs> out. On July 9th, 2008, Rich Dyer and Matthew Whitten posted a YouTube video claiming to have found the dead remains of a Bigfoot. Tom Biscardi, the same man we just talked about, you know, in the previous story, was contacted to investigate. And the Searching for Big Bigfoot organization paid Dyer and Whitten $50,000 as a good faith gesture. So even before they saw these remains, they said, you know what? Here's $50,000. We appreciate you bringing this story to us. And he said the radio listeners were gullible. Can you believe wow. it? Wow. Kind of wild. The story was covered by various news organizations, including BBC, CNN, ABC News, and Fox News. Following a press conference, the supposed Bigfoot was delivered to the Searching for Bigfoot team in a block of ice. So they just kind of frozen him there. Now, what do you think they found when they unthawed that $50,000 block of ice? Han Solo. <laughs> That, that would have been much more rewarding <laughs> than what they actually, the first they actually that came saw. To mind. That's perfect. Now, when the ice was dethawed, observers found that the hair was not real, obviously. The head was hollow and the feet were rubber. So imagine that. It wasn't real. It was a fake, fake Bigfoot just kind of stuffed in this block of ice. Dyer and Witten quickly admitted it was all a hoax. So that's fool me twice, right? Right. The plot thickens. <laughs> A few years later, in 2014, Rick Dyer, one of the, the same people who, who has been perpetuating the hoax, said that he killed a Bigfoot creature outside San Antonio, Texas. He indicated that he had an undisclosed lab conduct testing on the creature and found that its DNA did not match any known creature living. Because, of course it didn't, right? Otherwise, you don't have a Bigfoot. Sure, right. You know, if this, is, if this matches DNA with a, with a mangy dog. You have a mangy dog. You have a mangy yeah. dog. <laughs> Dyer promised to take the corpse on tour. And after the tour concluded, and he actually went on tour, the body of the supposed Bigfoot was taken to Houston. And then on March 28, 2014, Dyer admitted on his Facebook page that his Bigfoot corpse was another hoax, but that he did kill a real Bigfoot. He was just afraid to take the real Bigfoot on tour for fear that it would be stolen. I, I sense another man. There's a, another outing of Bigfoot in the making. My goodness. Story. At some point, you think the guy would just sort of stop, <laughs> or at least people would stop listening to him, one of the two. Well, there's a good reason for this. Uh, whenever he went on tour, he made a reported $60,000 going around and just saying, I have a Bigfoot and Five not, bucks not really showing it. Yeah. You get to come look at the Bigfoot. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I sense a, a new uh, you know Bigfoot world tour set 
setting up here in, <laughs> in 2020 right. or, or somewhere <laughs> thereafter. But Bigfoot is it's just a really interesting case to me. It's probably the one that I've heard reported the most. It's supposed to have uh, appeared on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, definitely in this and, area. You know, yeah. all, the, all these different places. So, uh, yeah, just, just kind of an interesting cryptid to be sure. So, Jason, what's up next on our list? I think we're going to go a little bit down deep underwater. That's exactly right. Along with Bigfoot, uh, the Loch Ness Monster is a worldwide known cryptid. Nessie is said to be a creature that inhabits Loch Ness, which is a freshwater lake located in the Scottish Highlands. The loch is a decent-sized body of water at 22 and a half miles long and about a mile and a half wide. It has an average depth of 433 feet with a maximum depth of 744 feet. The earliest report of some sort of sea monster occurred in 565 AD by the Irish monk St. Columba. According to his account, the monk was walking along the banks of Loch Ness and came upon a few men burying one of their friends. The group told him that their friend had been killed by a monster in the lake. And according to the monk, another man was also attacked while the group was burying the the first guy, but the second man escaped. And so all of this is in a 15, 1600-year-old journal by an Irish monk. Wow. So, so is the monster coming out of the water and attacking these men? or in Yes. And according to his, his journal, yes. Okay. That it was just coming right on the bank there. Uh, In terms of modern history, things really got kicked off in 1933 when a man named George Spicer reported to have seen an enormous beast in the loch. Over the next few years, there were multiple sightings of the Loch Ness Monster, including a gentleman named Arthur Clark, who in 1934 reported that he almost hit Nessie with his motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was crossing the road, and he almost hit it. it the, he wrecked the motorcycle, and he kind of laid it down there to prevent from hitting Nessie head on. Man, it sounds like Nessie spends a lot of time on the beach. That's just right. like I, I always thought, you know, always in the water. I never even considered this behemoth walking around on the land. I, maybe she went to go look for Bigfoot. I don't <laughs> I don't, maybe Bigfoot's riding Nessie right back to the water. Right. I don't know. Maybe he's driving in the in the lock there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is. Uh, also, in 1934, we have the famous surgeon's photograph that emerged. This is still like the picture in regard to the Loch Ness Monster. The picture was taken by a local surgeon named Robert Kenneth Wilson. And for years, his actual name was not connected with the photo because he thought people would think that he was crazy. So for decades, this picture was the major source of evidence of the Loch Ness Monster until several people came forward in the 1970s and admitted that the picture was a hoax. Throughout the 30s and 40s, more and more sightings occurred, but in 1954, a little more science was applied. A fishing boat uh, took sonar readings and noted a large object keeping pace with their boat at a depth of 479 feet, and the object was detected for about a half a mile. The next few decades produced more pictures, more videos, and more sonar readings. And in 2014, Apple Maps reported that a satellite image showed what appeared to be a large creature under the surface of the water, but this image was approximately 98 feet long. Oh my goodness. So Shannon, knowing all of that... Do you want to go for a swim in Loch Ness? Not today, no. But but maybe sometime. Listen, this one is is one that. All right, I, I'm going to be honest and say, you know, I don't give a lot of credence to a lot of the cryptids. But this one kind of gives me pause a little bit for a few different reasons. Uh, you know, number one, a lot of the world's oceans and and lakes and things that are you know several miles long and and deep 
just haven't been explored. We have no idea what's down there. And the deeper we go with technology, you know, as we create submarines that are able to plunge the depths and survive the pressure of the water, we find more and more creatures that we had no idea existed. Right. Happens all the time. All the time. You know, that's a very common thing. So yeah, this one, this one's just really interesting to me. And in a previous episode, we talked about unsolved mysteries and we talked about the bloop. Do you remember this? Oh, I absolutely remember the bloop. Yeah. So there was, uh, you know, a sound that was heard from, I think, a couple different underwater microphones. That were like 3,000 miles apart. Such a distance. I mean, almost impossible for that to just be a random occurrence. Some folks say it was the moving of tectonic plates. Others say that would have been impossible. It really sounded like a a biological creature of some sort, perhaps something like Nessie. Who knows? Kind of interesting. So, Shannon, what what do you have next? So, up next, Jason, I have uh, a creature called the Chupacabra. Now, is this one you've ever heard of before? I think Scooby-Doo actually (laughs) fought the Chupacabra one time in a cartoon. Uh, Did you really? Mailey and I, I we watched Scooby-Doo a lot of uh, at nights, you know, uh, before bed. And yeah, uh, Chupacabra, I think, has actually uh, fought Scooby-Doo on a number of occasions. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let me uh, tell you what Chupacabra means, Jason. Chupacabra, or goat sucker, (laughs) as the name translates, is a legendary creature in the folklore of parts of the Americas with its first sighting in Puerto Rico. So the name comes from the creature's reported habit of attacking and drinking the blood of livestock, including goats, hence goat sucker. (laughs) Physical descriptions of the chupacabra vary, but it is supposedly a heavy creature the size of a small bear with a row of spines reaching from the neck to the base of the tail. Kind of terrifying. It seems just awful. Yeah. (laughs) Eyewitnesses claim to have seen the chupacabra as far north as Maine and as far south as Chile. The creature has even been spotted in Russia and the Philippines. So he gets around. He, he travels a little bit. Has a visa, obviously. Obviously, you know, <laughs> frequent flyer miles. Some sightings in America have been verified as various dogs, wolves, and foxes that have mange. <laughs> so some of these reportings have come in, and they said, oh, that's just another mangy old animal that you're seeing there, right? That's not Bigfoot. That's not Chupacabra. That That is a dirty fox. <laughs> It has to be. That's right. The first reported attack of the Chupacabra occurred in 1995 in Puerto Rico. So this is one that's fairly more recent in terms of the folklore. Uh, In 1995, eight sheep were discovered dead, each with three punctures in the chest and reportedly drained of blood. So it has an interesting operating method there, a lot different than the others. And that's crazy. Yeah. A few months later in August, an eyewitness, Madeline Tolentino, reported seeing the creature in her town when as many as 150 farm animals and pets were reportedly killed. Now, remember her name. She's going to be important here in just a minute. That's Madeline Tolentino. 20 years prior to this event, uh, in 1975, there were similar animal killings, but they weren't attributed to the Chupacabra. They were attributed to a creature known as El Vampiro de Mocha, or (laughs) the Vampire of Mocha. (laughs) It's Dracula's second cousin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Each of the animals in these killings were reported to have had their blood drained through a series of small circular incisions. So in 1975, we see this vampire of mocha appear. 20 years <laughs> later, we see the chupacabra with a similar operating method. So kind of uh, interesting connection hmm. there. Yeah. That's strange. There's been a few explanations as to what the chupacabra sightings might amount to. There was a five-year investigation by Benjamin Radford documented in his 2011 book, Track 
tracking the chupacabra. And he concluded that the description given by the original eyewitness, remember her name, Madeline Tolentino, was of the creature Seal, uh, which is a creature from the 1995 science fiction horror film Species. This was one I haven't seen. Have you ever seen Species? I have seen that. Yeah, I think there were like several uh, you know, parts of that, you know, different different movies that came out after that. There was all sort of had Species in the title yeah. or the subtitle or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's that was kind of an interesting movie. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting uh, to me. Like I said, I've never seen the movie, but just this week I was on YouTube looking to rent a movie. You know, you can do that on there right. now. And I saw that Species was available for free. I guess it was one of those promotional things really? to kind of get yeah. you interested in it. So I saw that earlier in the week and then I saw this and I thought, man, this episode was meant to be. You know, I, I feel like I have the background knowledge of what this thing was supposed to look like because right <laughs> on the cover of Species, yeah, there it is. You kind of see this spiny looking humanoid right. creature. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I remember exactly what that looked like. Now, the alien creature seal from the film is nearly identical to Tolentino's Chupacabra eyewitness account. And she had seen the movie before giving her report back in 1995. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, she said this, quote, It was a creature that looked like the chupacabra with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive, end quote. So it kind of gives her away hmm. a little bit, you know, casts a little bit of doubt. Yeah. You know, in fact, the, the lead investigator here, Radford, revealed that Tolentino believed the events of species were actually occurring in her hometown. So there's a little bit of mental problem there, I think. Uh, you know, that's, a little that's, bit of a disconnect. That's kind of convenient for all that just to be yeah, right there. Right? <laughs> that's yeah. right. Radford concluded that the most important chupacabra description cannot be trusted, which seriously undermines the credibility of the chupacabra as a real animal. Now, in late October 2010, University of Michigan biologist Barry O'Connor concluded that all the chupacabra reports in the U.S. were simply coyotes infected with a parasite, which left them with little fur, thick skin, and a bad smell. O'Connor theorized that the disease coyotes attack goats because they were easy to pick off in their weakened state, unlike having to maybe chase down a rabbit or a deer. So, and they just, had <laughs> just a mangy mutt. And, and they all had three teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that well, formed a perfect triangle. He, he, he didn't touch on that so okay. much. Okay. Right? All right. Yeah. I don't think I would have either. <laughs> so, Jason, what's next on our list of interesting cryptids? Shannon, how are the Jersey Devil, Benjamin Franklin, and Bruce Springsteen all connected? All right. So they all appear on the $100 bill. If you look really closely, right in the right <laughs> corner, Bruce Springsteen's standing there, and he's holding the Jersey Devil. And I kid you not, I have no idea. <laughs> well, we're going to find can out. Can you tell me? I, I absolutely can tell you. We're going to find out. The Jersey Devil is a legendary creature that lives in the Pine Barrens region in southern New Jersey. The Jersey Devil is described as having the body of a kangaroo, the head and the feet of a goat or a horse, small clawed hands, a forked tail, and wings like a bat. Aside from those characteristics, totally normal-looking animal. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a little pouch there for his little chupacabra right. buddy to kind of ride along. Yeah. Okay. The only thing more horrifying than a chupacabra is a baby chupacabra. <laughs> You had me at kangaroo body, though. I mean, I don't hear about that ever. You, you always hear if you're talking about these uh, folklore type animals. Oh, you know, the body of a lion, the the mouth of a bear. But it's like, yeah, this thing's a kangaroo. <laughs> in some ways, that makes it a little more believable because you, know, you could find yeah. more fierce animals in a kangaroo. Sure. But, yeah. Feet of a gerbil. You know? <laughs> but there you go. Whatever. 
In January of 1909, multiple people reported that they saw the creature in the skies, in fields, and in barns. And ever since, the legend has lived on. But the actual origin of the Jersey Devil is extremely interesting. Historians believe that the legend is a byproduct of a religious political issue dating back to the 1690s. A man named Daniel Leeds lived in the Pine Barrens region and specifically in the town of Leeds Point. Daniel Leeds produced and sold almanacs, but Leeds began to use uh, astrological symbols in the almanacs. So the Quaker community ostracized the entire family and basically called them uh, heretics. From that point forward, the Leeds family name was tainted. In the early 1700s, Daniel Leeds' son, Titan Leeds, took over the almanac business and started to compete with Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac. In the there seven, he is. And there he is. In the 1730s. Leeds even began to print the family crest uh, on the Leeds Almanacs, which was the picture of a winged creature. So this winged creature he's printing, uh, the fact that he was using these strange, you know, astronomical uh, astrology type things, you yeah, know, in the Almanacs. Like they didn't like that. They didn't go real well in the late 1600s, early 1700s in, in uh, Quaker society. In Quaker, yeah, sort of northeast colonial. Anything. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. <laughs> so most historians feel that the Jersey Devil stories are connected back to these earlier events. Also, what is really important to mention is that before 1909, there were other reports of this creature for well over 100 years. But in all of the reports, the creature was referred to as the Devil of Leeds or the Leeds Devil. That it mm-hmm. wasn't until 1909 before the Jersey Devil, but that particular name sort of focused. Until that point, it was the same creature they referred to, but they called it either the Devil of Leeds or the Leeds Devil. A much more supernatural origin story of the Jersey Devil occurred in the 1730s when Deborah Leeds, which is a relative of Daniel and Titan Leeds, became angry when she became pregnant with her 13th child. And legend has it that she cursed the child for the entire pregnancy, and on the day of the birth of the child, the the child sprouted wings, attacked everyone in the room with its mighty forked tail, (laughs) and I kid you not, flew up the chimney. Flew up the chimney. Yep. So baby's born, wah, wah, I attack everybody in the room, and then I fly up the chimney. Man. So that, so we have the almanac, Benjamin Franklin right. connection about that sort of the origin, and then we have this supernatural that occurred during the same time period sure. in the same region uh, of, of that. So... There you go. It's crazy that it's all connected to that same family. It is. You keep seeing Leeds. And, of course, that again, the Leeds Point was the town. And then the Leeds family basically was the family that was ostracized and sort of marked as heretics. And huh. and over that time, that the, the, the Leeds devil sort of became folklore. And then over time, the, the Leeds name kind of f- fell off. And it just uh, people started calling it the, the Jersey devil. So. so when it flew up the chimney, I mean, where did it? go <laughs> I, don't, I guess in a barn somewhere it still i don't know it's, it's, it's probably looking for bigfoot it probably flies the skies looking for chupacabra oh, or, yeah. or the bigfoot picking off goats and that's right. you know just just leaving three tiny uh marks that's right <laughs> it was the chupacabra i like to imagine saw nothing <laughs> i like to imagine that it does have an australian accent though because <laughs> because it's you know like a kangaroo like top right oh that's right yeah so, yeah okay yeah. at Eats least at outback steakhouse at least i hope so <laughs> outback was i think what number was that like uh, like eight or yeah, something. number eight number eight <laughs> <laughs>
So a couple of uh, pop culture connections. Uh, there's a professional hockey team called the New Jersey oh, Devils. Sure. Uh, and Bruce Springsteen wrote a song called A Night with the Jersey Devil. There it is. The, all the connections make sense now. So there you go. So Pretty that, cool. So that's how Bruce Springsteen and Benjamin Franklin and the Jersey Devil They're are all connected. All connected. All wow. Pretty cool. So, Shannon, tell us uh, a little more about one of my personal favorite cryptids, the Mothman. So, Jason, we were recently in West Virginia uh, just at the end of last year, and we went there and we interviewed Tony Moran. He was the face behind Michael Myers, you know, in John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. So, this is a legend that originates in West Virginia, and we may have very well have been nearby where the Mothman was presumably to have, you know, spread his wings. Doing his moth things. (laughs) That's right. So in West Virginia folklore, the Mothman is a creature reportedly seen in the Point Pleasant area from November 12, 1966 to December 15, 1967. The first newspaper report was published in the Point Pleasant Register, and it read, quote, Couples see man-sized bird, creature, something, end quote. So people were seeing this thing, and it was becoming so popular that they wrote it up in the news, and eventually the national news adopted it because that was kind of a sensational headline, you know, back in the 60s. People during that time were really concerned with aliens. Right. (laughs) And, and for you know, there's going to be some connections to this Mothman and aliens here in just a bit, but kind of interesting. Uh, On November 12th, 1966, five men who were digging a grave claimed to have seen a man-sized bird fly low from the trees over their heads. Shortly after, uh, two young couples from the area, Roger and Linda Scarberry, and Steve and Mary Mallett, told police they saw a large gray creature whose eyes glowed red in the car headlights. The couple described the creature as a large flying man with 10-foot wings that followed behind their car as they drove along. That's kind of scarier to me than if he had just confronted them you know <laughs> yeah this is just something that sort of follows along behind your car yeah, i don't like that no yeah, i don't like that. that that adds an extra layer of right. creepiness for me other sightings soon followed and one man claimed that the creature was responsible for a buzz in his television <laughs> as well as the death of his dog so yeah, see the you know that's connections weird. like yeah that's weird like weird things showing up and then other weird things happening that kind of freaks me out a little right. bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, either that or the man uh, you know kind of got his rabbit ears crossed and, and killed his dog and said <laughs> <laughs> my bad <laughs> I mean Mothman's bad <laughs> right. yeah uh, wildlife biologist Dr Robert L Smith at West Virginia University discredited all of the sightings indicating that they fit the description of a sandhill crane which is a large American crane almost as high as a man with a seven foot wingspan and reddish coloring around the eyes. Sounds pretty convenient, but that crane is nowhere near this area at the time. So if it were there, if this were just a bird and not a giant man with, you know, 10 foot wingspan, then it would have been highly unusual, Jason. So th- this sounds like one of those kind of convenient explanations right. a little bit. On December 15, 1967, a suspension bridge called the Silver Bridge collapsed and it connected West Virginia to Ohio. Terrible event, but the event gave rise to a legend that connected the Mothman sightings to the bridge collapse itself. According to a Georgian newspaper, Russian ufologists claim that Mothman sightings in Moscow foreshadowed the 1999 Russian apartment bombings. This was an event that killed 300 people and injured over 1,000 people. So the connection here between the Silver Bridge and the apartment bombings is the thought that perhaps this Mothman somehow foreshadows these 
terrible events that are going to occur. So that's hmm. what the legend says. Some pseudoscience believers uh, claim that Mothman was an alien, a supernatural manifestation, or a previously unknown species of animal. So that's kind of how they explain it. I told you aliens would crop up, right? So the 1960s. Oh, it has to. They right. have to, yeah. right? Yeah. Men in black, all that. All right. that, all that stuff. Uh, so in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, author John Keel claimed that the Point Pleasant residents experienced glimpses of the future, including premonitions of the collapse of the Silver Bridge. So explanations include uh, one that was put forth by a man named Joe Nickel. He is a skeptic and paranormal investigator. They oftentimes call him in to look into these cases where people say something supernatural or paranormal has occurred, but he's a skeptic, so he goes in with the lens of there must be some natural explanation. In a previous episode, we talked about the case of Jack the Ripper, and there was an instance where a diary was put forth that was supposed to be from Jack the Ripper. Joe Nickel was actually called in on that investigation, and he was one of the people who was key in discrediting the diary oh, wow. of, of Jack the Ripper. So kind of gives you an idea of his background. Uh, but he was also called in on the Mothman case, and he concluded that most Mothman sightings are hoaxes and can be easily explained. In one example, Nickel indicated that a group of construction workers had simply tied flashlights to balloons and released them into the night sky. Hmm. I don't know what I would think about that. Just to see, you know, uh, a balloon floating around with a flashlight on the end. To me, that just seems like a flashlight and a balloon. I don't yeah, know. That's, does that say Mothman to you? No, that, that just seems like maybe a light that after just a few seconds you would realize what that was, really. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying they didn't do that. They, they obviously did that. But somehow to me, that just doesn't ring true. Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm out somewhere and I, I think I see a 10-foot mothman following the car. It's probably not a, a giant red balloon with a you know with a flashlight. Right. And balloons go up, not really like forward. Sure. Yeah, and they don't <laughs> chase you down. <laughs> they don't chase you down. Right. Uh, Nickel believes other sightings are actually sightings of the barred owl, which is an albino owl whose eyes would glow red in the reflection of lights. Again, this is an owl that wasn't in the neighborhood at the time, so it would have had to have been a very convenient sort of outing for this particular particular owl if that's what was involved in some of these hmm. sightings. So that's the Mothman. There's there's actually a statue of the Mothman that you can go online and see that's in West Virginia. Really? And it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh, commissioned. I, it looks like it's like a steel sculpture. I'd have to go back hmm. into the, the article there and see what it's actually made of. But yeah, it's just a figure of a man standing there and he has these giant butterfly moth-like wings. Looks pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So Jason, the last cryptid on our list is the the Yeti. What can you tell us about the Yeti? I can tell you that the Yeti is basically Bigfoot in the snow. Is he really? <laughs> they are very, very closely related. So it's like the polar bear of Bigfoot. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. The, the Yeti is also referred to as the abominable snowman uh, and is said to live in the Himalayan mountains, which is obviously home uh, to Mount Everest. In the 1700s and 1800s, people who lived along the foothills of the mountains worshipped a glacial being, as they refer to it as. But it was in the late 1800s when documented reports first began to surface. The first was by James Prinzep in 1832. And Yeti mania ran wild, sort of like Hulkamania runs wild. <laughs> Yeti mania ran wild in the early 20th century as reports, sightings, and pictures emerged. During the 1950s, an unidentified scalp was discovered, and even to this date, the scalp remains unidentified, that they cannot figure out guaranteed 100% facts what that thing came from. Like a human scalp? It, it, it's, a, it's not a human scalp. 
but they they they've just not been able to oh, clearly like identify. It might be from the yeti. From the yeti, yeah. That huh. people think it's a yeti, a yeti scalp, and they it's not it's not a human scalp, but they really can identify what animal that it came from. And so even to date, there's a lot of debate over that. So these things just kind of shed their scalps as they <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> as they go. Man, how would you like to be walking like up a rocky, snowy terrain and look over, and this thing's just taking its scalp off, <laughs> looking at you? Uh, no thanks. I'd be like, uh, I hope I get attacked by five chupacabras. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be like, well, that was weird. Let's go hiking, folks. I heard this is a really nice trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, in recent years, Henry G., editor of the journal called Nature, and Joshua Gates from the popular television show Destination Truth have conducted explorations around the Himalayan mountains uh, in search of the Yeti, but so far with no results. Oh, that's too bad. So to date, the only Yeti that's ever really truly been found right. is in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, and what a lovable Yeti he ends yeah. up being. Right? Yeah, and you know, he's just misunderstood. Yeah. Right? He ends up being a nice guy. Right. He had a toothache, right? He did. And, and was it Yukon Cornelius kind of wrangles him in? Yeah. And does he end up putting the star on the Christmas tree? He does. And Rudolph? Yeah, he does. He couldn't be all bad, Jason. No. He just he just needed a little care. Yeah. I, I love the name. Abominable Snowman. Abominable Snowman. He's not a snowman. Right. What, what's up with that, I wonder? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but many of these cryptids, uh, you know, they're not bad guys. You know, you had Bigfoot and Harry, of the, you know, Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, he was a Bigfoot, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I loved Harry and the Hendersons. That's a good show. Yeah, good I movie. mean, I, when I watched that, I really thought at any moment in my life that we would hit one on our road. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like for weeks, I just knew any moment. Yep, here it comes. You know, I just love the smile on that guy. They had a really cool, <laughs> uh, you know, artwork piece on the front of the VHS cassette. That's where I remember seeing this. Yeah, most. has his head hanging out, and he's just smiling. Yeah. You know, it's he's, all good. His teeth are like the size of rocks. Right. <laughs> you know, and he's just smiling. Yeah, that's a great movie. He, he seemed like a really nice Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just sort of misunderstood. Yeah, that's all good. Well, Shannon, I think that's uh, that is all the information I have, at least on today's episode in regard to cryptids. But maybe some more uh, cryptid uh, informations and maybe more topics in future episodes. Yeah, absolutely. That that's all for me as well. I really enjoyed this one. A lot of interesting research, and you know, maybe Jason, the truth is still out there, yet to be found. I like to think so. So thanks to everyone who is listening, and uh, be sure to connect with the Slapdash podcast on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter with the handle at slapdash pod. Thanks so much, everyone. Ah. <laughs>